Hello, everybody. I'm Bridget, and I'm a person in recovery. I might also be, I might also describe myself as an alcoholic and a codependent um, and other things. Um, glad to be here. Thanks, Malia, for asking me to speak. Um, blah, 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 blah. So my sobriety date is December 3rd, 2019. But I first um, came into Alcoholics Anonymous November 1st of 2019. That's the day I started this journey. And um, I, I think that's significant. Um, I'm just, I'm starting to say that now because yes, the day that I stopped in, you know, taking in substances is important, but the day I decided I need help, I think it's just as important. Um, so yeah, I, um, I don't know. I, I kind of, I came into AA because I'd been drinking for decades, um, but I didn't really think of myself. I, I kind of always figured I probably had the potential to be an alcoholic since there were many in my family and lots of other uh, neurotic tendencies. Um, and um, so, and all that, but I, I kind of always enjoyed drinking. I liked the experience, I liked the flavor, and um, I didn't really care if I was for the longest time. Um, and I, I was reminded yesterday on a meeting that actually I tried to stop drinking, um, gosh, let's see, I don't know, about like 10 months before I got into AA, and it wasn't because of any disastrous thing that happened. It was because I was hanging out with someone who didn't drink. And I thought, oh, it wouldn't be cool to just not drink. That's kind of cool. And I'd noticed over the last uh, few years how um, when I'd hang out with my old friends back home in Indiana, uh, most of them don't drink either because they're one of us or because they just don't. Um, I'd always feel better. I'd always think like, I wish I had more friends that didn't drink because I live in the New York City area. I'm in, I'm in Jersey City, but I've worked and lived in and around New York for um, 14 years or something. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a big drinking culture here as there is most places, I guess, but because um, I grew up in a college town, there's definitely a drinking culture there, but, but, uh, but yeah, like I, I was around a lot of people that drank. And even now there's things I wanna go out in the world and do um, for creative reasons and stuff. And it's going to involve going to bars and stuff. And I don't think that's a problem for me because I actually hung out with some friends at a bar the other day and it was not even a, of interest to, to me. I was curious to see what they were drinking because I think um, I always enjoyed kind of the artistry of it, of cocktails and stuff, but I wasn't tempted. I just drank a Coke, you know, it was, it was fine. And it was also nice just to be clear headed and hang out with those people that I used to get wasted with, um, and be the clear headed one. <laughs> I really liked that. So anyway, I was sort of like kind of going more in that direction. Um, I stopped drinking for probably like a month or so, maybe, um, this, this first time that I tried. But it wasn't because I thought I had a problem. And then I gave up on it and then just went back 
to my old ways. And um, I did start to notice that I was prioritizing it a lot more. Um, I remember times that I would be hanging out with someone and thinking, okay, when are we going to be done hanging out? I really want to go to the liquor store and get some Prosecco. <laughs> and, um, you know, so, or I'd already have it, I've already purchased it and I'm just waiting to like go home and crack it open. Um, so about two weeks before I had my last big <laughs> drunken blowout, I went to the doctor and my doctor, um, she asked me how much I drink or if I drink. And I said, yes, I do. And I said, um, something like the, oh, you know, the normal amount. <laughs> and she said, okay, well, just so you know, the normal amount is one drink a day. And I said, oh, okay, thanks. You know, <laughs> and, um, you know, I wasn't like, I wasn't like uh, drinking a crazy amount really in the grand scheme of things, but you know, I wasn't drinking one drink a day, surely. I was drinking like maybe a bottle and a half of, you know, wine a day. Um, that was kind of my routine. I'd leave work um, in the early evening and have my, go have my wine and then make sure I had a bottle for when I got home. Um, it started to become like two drinks after work or on my break rather. Um, I rarely, in the last like year, I would rarely like hang out outside of my home to drink just because it was more expensive and I didn't want to deal with the hassle because I usually would hang out in Brooklyn and have to like go back to New Jersey. Um, so yeah, that was kind of what, you know, the year leading up to me coming into AA looks like. Um, I, so I'm going to rewind. <laughs> um, I grew up in Southern Indiana. I was raised um, by my mom and my grandmother and my cousin. And my aunt was there for a while too. Um, my grandmother was devout Catholic. So I was raised Catholic, Catholic school, all that stuff. Um, and I would say she's probably the biggest influence on my life, uh, um, on my personality, on everything. And, um, you know, she, she was definitely like my my rock and actually the rock of the family. And, um, and I like the things that she, in my mind, that she stands for, like, she was very calm, she was very open-minded, she was very um, forgiving, I guess, um, although she always stood by me, unconditional love. Um, she was a recycling fanatic, a public radio and public television fanatic. Um, so I learned a lot of my values from her. <laughs> um, my mom also taught me some very important things. Um, she passed away when I was eight. She was, she had uh, cancer and her two sisters also passed away from cancer within like a five or six year period. Um, I became a <laughs> germaphobe um, at an early age. Um, developed um, obsessive compulsive tendencies at an early age. Um, I also really um, engaged in escapism. Um, that was definitely, you know, my, my first 
the first thing that got me out of myself was daydreams, my, uh, my daydreams. And also I really loved music and television. And so I would definitely like drown myself in that. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I, I view it as cultural education, but, but yeah, that, I definitely did it for probably self-soothing. Um, yeah, and so uh, let's see. I always kind of felt out of place. I remember my early school experiences feeling really alienated and scared of people. And um, in um, Catholic school, well, first in Montessori school, my mother sent me to Montessori school. That did not work out. I did not like that. I, it just was, it seemed very chaotic um, and overstimulating. And Catholic school, um, the early years were kind of painful. I was really freaked out by people and I didn't talk except in a whisper to teachers. In first grade, I made a, I made a friend and she and I would hang out, but I still wouldn't really, I'd whisper to her. She was the only one I would talk to. She was kind of my translator. So if I wanted to play hopscotch, she would ask the other kids for me. <laughs> um, so anyway, I was just a very um, unsure of myself and scared of people. Uh, let's see. So, and I tried to fit in for the longest time until I reached high school, first day of high school. I just did everything in my power to not fit in. That was very important to me. And that was kind of the first time I really established my independence from what other people thought. Uh, and so anyway, I still was obsessed with music, obsessed with crushes and stuff like that. So I still had that escapism. Um, at the end of high school, I sort of dabbled end of high school early college I dabbled in an eating disorder and the unfortunate thing about that is um, when I stopped doing that I started the obsessive compulsive disorder got way worse it's the only thing I've been officially diagnosed with I mean I don't know if what that means but I just <laughs> just for the record <laughs> um I actually was, I went to a psychiatrist for OCD actually, and they gave me an SSRI and for about a week I took it. This was when I was about 20 or 21. And I didn't like the side effects and it also you weren't allowed to drink on it. And I thought, well, I'm in my early twenties, I'm in college, I really wanna drink. <laughs> it just, so, you know, that was the priority. And so I kind of realized recently that I think I started drinking more as a way to get out of that, you know, OCD kind of thing. It, it really helped me like not care as much. Just, okay, oh, I can calm down now. I don't have to, I don't have to worry so much. So that's kind of when I think things kind of started. And I always like went to wineries and stuff like that. And uh, I always had bad hangovers, <laughs> you know, I never, I never, uh, didn't have hangovers. Um, so I think I just always had kind of an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. And I, I was always in places where it was normalized with the exception of some family members who, who didn't drink. Um, my grandmother didn't really drink, but, um, but as when I was a kid, you know, we'd have like wine spritzer and stuff like that. So anyway, um, I moved to, uh, Brooklyn in 2006, um, 
that was weird. I, I, it was cool because I finally, I was like, I've always wanted to live in Brooklyn. Why don't I just do it? I can do it. And that was just such a, a freedom and things fell into place. I got a job, an apartment, everything worked out. I had to leave my grandmother. That was not cool. I didn't, that sucked. <laughs> um, and, but she wanted me to be on my own. She wanted me to do that. And I think she was proud of that. Uh, so I was planning a going away party and a couple weeks before I moved, um, I got a phone call from a friend and she told me that one of our high school friends, someone I had brief, very briefly dated a couple years before had overdosed on heroin. And um, we knew that he had a problem with it. I think a lot of people were under the impression that he was over it. I was never under that impression because he openly admitted to me that he hadn't stopped using. And so I, I ghosted him basically. And um, so anyway, I, the last time I saw, I saw him was like a month before he died. So that was weird. So I spent the two weeks prior to my move, hanging out with friends and just kind of a total wreck. And I don't cry in public, you know, but <laughs> at his, wait, I was just, you know, a waterfall. Um, so that was strange. And so I moved to New York and with my dog and um, kind of started, you know, just having a new life. And um, yeah, like I said, you know, there was a lot more drinking happening. I dated someone when I got there. Oh, this was real smart. I dated my roommate. Uh, yeah, really good idea. Um, that did not end well. I remember one night, I could tell things were not going well. And I remember one night, like just, I got really drunk and I screamed at him, you know, like I, yeah, I had kind of a temper when I was drinking sometimes, sometimes, or I'd be the sad wino in the corner, <laughs> like uh, the Dean Martin song, little old, old wine drink for me. Um, but anyway, I don't know. It, I could tell a bunch of stories about how alcohol affected my life. It, it, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> Sometimes it was fun. You know, I, I made friends with bartenders and stuff. They were the most interesting people to talk to in the bar. Um, I remember one time, sometimes I would really like have conversations with really people that were not people I would talk to when I was sober, you know? And there was one time when I, <laughs> I was talking to someone and I was really trying to make the conversation interesting. And I may have mentioned that I was from Indiana more than once. It's something I do. That's just something I identify as a Hoosier pretty early on when you get to know me. And uh, the guy finally like cut me off and he said, congratulations on being from Indiana. <laughs> so, so yeah, I preferred talking to bartenders and not so much the, the people patronizing the place. Um, and I would often like go to the bar alone, um, which I know is kind of like a risky thing to do, but I just, I often just wanted to drink. I didn't really want to talk to anyone except the bartender and maybe like read or look at my phone or whatever. I remember um, one time I went to this, this old oyster bar that used to be in Penn, Penn Station. Um, they had a, they would pour a, a good, a good Guinness. Um, so I would go there a lot. And um I remember it was like, it was fall of like 2015 and I wasn't really feeling great. Um, it was the 
I just remember this. I just associate things with other things. So I just remember the Pope was in town. <laughs> uh, have, you know, just clinky dink. Um, anyway, I, um, yeah, I started to feel really dark. Like I just have dark thoughts. And then I started sending out like very vague, like texts to people. And, um, you know, I was feeling suicidal basically. And then, like, I went home and the person I was dating and living with at the time, he was annoyed with me, but I was like in a really bad place, but I didn't tell him, of course. Um, I just, but I ended up just passing out, but I just, that was the first time I felt really like not in a good place. And so that's become kind of more of a feature lately. I've always had depression since I was pretty sure since I was a kid. And definitely when I turned 13 and it was at the beginning of like my hormones changing, you know, when I was, when I was a kid, I started to have suicidal ideation. So that became kind of a feature of my drinking too. I would get into that place, that headspace. Um, and there was a time a couple of years later where I actually did cut myself and go to the doctor and, you know, get a tetanus shot and everything. And I was fine. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, Kind of took me there and so basically you know things I didn't I didn't have a great time in those last years um and I dated someone who drank a ton um about a year before I stopped drinking and that allowed me to just drink as much as I wanted without question although there were situations where I was really drunk and his friends noticed I passed out at a new year's eve party <laughs> in a closet <laughs> um we were hosting it so I was exhausted you know but anyway so just stupid stuff like that I got into like kind of a screaming fight with him once you know just I I don't know I just wasn't I wasn't really a great person when I was drinking so so anyway my last um hurrah I went out and got really drunk and made kind of ass of myself and the next day I felt just terrible remorse um, and just decided, okay, I, I think that's enough. And so I called the New Jersey AA hotline or whatever it is. And it was a Friday, November, Friday, November 1st, 2019. And they said, okay, there's a meeting on in so many minutes or whatever. So I got down to downtown Jersey city and got to this candlelight meeting, which was great because being an ex-Catholic, I love candles and and mystery and ceremony. And I am a free thinker, secular person, but to be honest, uh, going to these meetings felt very comfortable because I was used to ceremonies, I was used to readings and things like that. So it kind of just clicked, it felt comfortable. And I was, yeah, I was just sitting there. Um, the night before I had bruised my forehead and <laughs> so I was like covering my face with my hair for the next like couple weeks um I'd also bruised my elbow like a week before I wasn't actually drunk but I was super angry and walking down a New York City sidewalk and slipped and fell on my elbow I made sure my wine was okay it didn't break but my elbow not so much wasn't feeling good so I was a mess um so I remember um, in those early days, we would put up chairs after meetings and I couldn't, I couldn't put the chairs up because of my elbow and for, for several months. 
And I remember feeling so proud of the fact like a few months later that I could actually help put chairs away. Um, I was just, a, I was a mess and people welcomed me and gave me phone numbers. And there was one time uh, the women were writing phone, like writing their phone numbers on this envelope. And I guess, you know, I was like, what is this envelope? And they kept passing it around. And then they finally passed it to me and I just passed it to the next person because I didn't know what it was. And the woman next to me said, no, that's for you. <laughs> and it had all the women's phone numbers that had Living Sober in it, which was a book I loved because it's just so common sense. It's just so practical, simple, just, you know, short blurbs that my sort of fried really, I, I, was, I was very emotional. You know, it was just, I remember those first couple of weeks being like all over the place. And so my fried emotional self could like read this thing. Um, so I kind of clung to that book and I tried to get to meetings every single day if I could. Um, I couldn't always get to the Jersey City meetings. So luckily New York City is a stone throw away. So I was able to go to some meetings over there. Um, Perry Street was good because they had late night meetings. And um, yeah, and then I reached my 90 days and then the pandemic happened. And so I'd already been doing some phone meetings. So I hopped on Zoom very easily and uh, started doing several meetings a day. <laughs> And I still have a several meeting a day habit, but um, but yeah, it's been it's been good, and so I've been able to get to meetings every day, which has been really important. Um, and my first secular meeting was about like when I got to about six months, and I was feeling pretty squirrely around that time, but I it was around that time <clears throat> that I realized okay, well, I'm definitely. I know I'm definitely an atheist. I've been an atheist since I was a kid. Um, so I need to find something that fits a little better. So, you know, secular meetings were good. Um, and I think just going to meetings and hearing people every single day really helped. The repetition really helps. Um, then I started picking up commitments. First, a speaking commitment and then a hosting commitment. Um, I still didn't really know a lot of people until, I don't know, nine or 10 months in, I, I met someone at a New York meeting and she, uh, told me about these other meetings and she told me about a, a women's study group. And then, um, I don't have to be mysterious about it. It was Teresa. Um, and yeah, so that's how I kind of found Tesnua actually. And you know, I sort of awkwardly listened for a really, really long time and observed everybody in the room and then finally decided, okay, these people are okay. And um, just, I don't know, I think became friends with some people. I think we are my friends. Um, <laughs> oh, did I mention I'm codependent? Um, uh, yeah, so, um, so yeah, um, as far as dealing with the alcohol thing, I don't really, feel like drinking. And I've been doing all these things to try to keep it just out of my mind, keep myself busy. Um, so now that I'm feeling things, feeling my feelings and stuff, I'm noticing other things. And one of them was codependence. And actually I'd been aware that I was codependent long before I admitted I was an alcoholic, but um, so now I'm taking a look at that stuff and I'm trying to have good boundaries 
and not get sucked into other people's drama and just not try to interfere with other people, not try to be, okay, so I demanded to be a co-host today to do housekeeping, that's because I'm controlling. <laughs> and I also like a smoothly run meeting, um, but, but yeah, I, um, I've, I've been noticing a lot of behaviors that I've done all of, you know, like all my life. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just trying to like work on that. I'm in a, I'm in a little like study group with a few people and we, we read the CODA book, which th there's some good stuff in there. <laughs> um, but I, you know, it, it, I prefer um, the more secular books and um, so anyway, that's been interesting looking into that. And it really, um, the thing that helps, I think the most is just staying in contact with people every day, um, getting to meetings, fellowshipping. The meetings are awesome, but sometimes I get more out of the before and after meeting. And sometimes I have to step away. Sometimes enough is enough. I gotta get away from the screen. And that's a boundary I'm trying to be better at. Um, but yeah, I, realized it's only been like a year and a half. So it feels like we've been doing, you know, doing the Zoom thing forever. And it feels like a long time, but really it's it's not been that long. And I did do I did do the steps or most of them anyway. And um, I kind of just realized at step six, okay, you know, I've dug up a lot of stuff from my past. I really should talk to a professional. And um, also, what's the rush? I mean, I got through four and five, which for me personally, that was really important because it kind of did lift some weight off my shoulders. But, and um, yeah, it was, that was important. I really was going home about the steps when I first came in. And now I'm just like, what's the rush? Because it's kind of just going to be my life now. So, and my understanding is going through them multiple times is the thing to do. But I don't know, not everybody does them. So I'm just kind of like kind of reassessing. <clears throat> and um, yeah, I'm, I'm open to some other sort of very fringe alternative kind of things that I'm looking into in the future. And I think it will place me kind of at the fringes of even um, secular AA. Um, <clears throat> I'm very curious about plant medicine and things like that. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of research, of course, but um, for now, I'm just happy to come to meetings and I'm alcohol free. And I think that's probably the way I need to be. So I don't really have anything else to say. So thank you for letting me be of service. <laughs>